This episode of Asians Represent is brought to you by our amazing supporters at patreon.com slash aznsrepresent and the OneShot Podcast Network. Join our Discord community by heading to aznsrepresent.com. Welcome, everyone, to Asians Represent. This is our two-year Twitchiversary. Uh, if you're listening, you know, to the audio, today is not a special day for audio because we've been doing this for a while, but this is our two-year Twitchiversary. Um, so, first of all, congratulations, Steve. Um, congratulations, Daniel. Congratulations, Steve. I, I wore this um, Toronto Raptors jersey because it was one of the first things that I was wearing when we were streaming. Um I uh, felt a little weird wearing it because it's it's like a Jeremy Lin jersey, and then yeah. Jeremy Lin's like buy my NFTs, and then Simu Liu is like, no. Simu <laughs> <laughs> Liu is the hero. Chang <laughs> Chi versus the NFTs, and just like literally, I was cack. Like I was like sitting on the couch. My partner um, was like on the couch, and I'm just like <laughs> trying to contain <laughs> my laughter and try to explain. Hey, I uh, try to explain. <laughs> why i think this is fucking hilarious and then you see jeremy lynn come in and try to defend what it's all about and i'm just like oh my god this is so cringe um (laughs) but uh one of the things i dug up was uh, before we get even deeper is this early 2000s toronto raptors vince carter jersey yeah um my my mom found it and uh I also have my Mighty Ducks jerseys. Oh, you can see my partner in the back. She just came home. Um, I've got my uh, an original Mighty Ducks kids jersey. Um, oh, my God. But I could get it in time. I'll get it this weekend, and I'll share some pictures. Um, quack. 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 <laughs> you know, look, you know how many times, like, playing? Oh, I'm going to just write this down on the agenda because I, I haven't. I need to talk about this. Daniel's <laughs> baseball story. <laughs> plus stairs um i will i'll talk about this but um one of the things before we get into you know talking about turning red talking about sort of the the criticisms of the film um whether they be valid or not um as well as just like our impressions and the the sort of um the themes that the film kind of sort of like tries to embody i think it's super important to put out some like content warnings before we get into this Um, Because we are going to dive into themes of like abuse, intergenerational trauma, violence. I may cry during this episode. Um, I cried during the movie, but I wanted to, you know, be real up front. I think it's really important for us to issue some content warnings for, you know, themes of, you know, like uh, abuse and intergenerational trauma and violence. Uh, Really important. Um, But that said... um, Steve, Kiana, Sonia, Michelle, thank you for joining me. Uh, I know we were all just like, oh, my God, turn it red. (laughs) Um, Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. But, you know, seeing a lot of the feedback that, you know, non-Asian folks had of the film and, you know, seeing that this is the two year anniversary of us starting on Twitch, I feel like doing one episode after the other week after week was a good idea because this is an important one. Um, For sure. I have set an agenda and we could go, you know, in, in various orders. And I think I'd love to start with, first of all, our impressions of turning red. 
Now, obviously, for folks who are watching this or listening, there will be spoilers. There will be spoilers. Um, so many. So many spoilers. So if all you haven't the... seen the movie yet, first of all, go watch the fucking movie. Uh, and then watch slash, slash listen to this afterwards. Um, because this is a one of the most important movies to come out in recent memory. And it will remain one of the most important animated films and films about the Asian diaspora for many, many, many generations to come. Um, Turning Red is a film about, you know, a young girl named Maylin who has this familial curse. And when she gets like emotional and worked up, she turns into this giant red panda that you could see in Kiana's background. Um, uh, and there you go. And um, it's just kind of about the hijinks that kind of happen with this transformation and her desire to go see Four Town, a fictional boy band um, that is coming to Toronto. Um, on top of that, she has to deal with the fact that there are familial expectations and she needs to lift this perceived curse that is upon her. Uh, it is a very heartwarming film about a Chinese Canadian family um, kind of dealing with the sort of um, deeply embedded effects of collective trauma. Uh, and it is a fantastic film. What I'd love to do is kind of start with, well, what are your impressions of it? I mean, I know we all really fucking love it. Like Michelle, <laughs> your, your Twitter name. Um, I know we all really love it, but I would love to know from each of you, what made you fall in love with this movie? Because we've seen like Encanto was a movie that talked about the themes of intergenerational trauma. Um, we, we, we have, you know, Asian representation in Disney already in other films like Shang-Chi and uh, Star Wars Rogue One, Star Wars Rebels. We, we have Asian characters, but why are we so jazzed about Turning Red? Uh, I, I'd love to start with you, Michelle, because you're on, on the overlay. You are to my left. Like, what was it that made you just fall in love with this film? Or just like, uh, uh, I don't know, because we don't all have to love it. <laughs> I mean, I, I love the film. I don't think that's, I mean, my Twitter account name right now is Fortown Stan. So I feel, I feel like it's a pretty, um, it's pretty obvious how I think my general conclusions are, uh, but, and how I feel. But I think the thing that really clued me in was from the very beginning when I immediately recognized that Mei Lin was absolutely embodying my experience as part of the Asian diaspora here in North America. The movie starts with a series of photos of her childhood. Now I don't know about y'all's parents, but my parents loved taking photos of everything oh my god i, know. I have so many photo albums <laughs> i mean they're not all with me right now i think a lot of them are still in california but like they just like the progression of growing up and then seeing her in both traditional clothing seeing her um like bonding with her parents and things like that like that was just i i immediately was like boom this is for me i know exactly what late like this movie is on and of course the very beginning dialogue of um that Malin talks about where Malin talks about like giving back to your parents because mm -hmm. they've made you. They you know? worked their asses off to make they, sure that they you could have right. the life that they never like, had. Mm -hmm. So and the least you can do is everything they ask. 
and it's sort and then they and then she goes like well that doesn't mean that you know you don't honor yourself as well and so she started i'm like okay interesting and then just with like the cool little sassy walk down the street with her tamagotchi and a flute case and whatnot um but then you see later on she has like a little bit of she's still you can tell she has a little bit of trouble with that right she's starting to break away with her parents she's trying to figure out who she is um outside of her family unit and I think that was the immediate moment of that whole scene, like that scene then transitioned to the intro scene, et cetera, to her parents. It was like, that was exactly my experience growing up to a lot, to an uncanny degree. Um, so I, I just saw myself so easily within this character, um, within her experiences, within her family. Yeah. I also played the flute. Like, <laughs> <laughs> what about what about you, Kiana? So you know how there was that very infamous critique about how critique <clears throat> I say in quotation marks was like this movie isn't relatable. It's only relatable to Toronto Chinese Canadian girls and their friends. Hi, I'm the Toronto Chinese Canadian girl <laughs> and my friends. Kiana, it's so exhausting. I mean, speak of yeah, <laughs> yeah. So. Um, there's, there was, uh, I think it was, it was like in that moment where she's talking about herself at the very beginning of the movie, um, and she meets up with her friends and I went, oh, that was literally me and my friends. <laughs> like after the movie, so I watched it twice on, on release date, like literally almost back to back. Um, and my parents watched it the following day, uh, and I talked to them about it and they're like, yeah, this person, isn't that just, that was just like this person who you were friends with and most go like yeah you're right <laughs> like and so it's this all these bits and pieces of it where obviously i felt myself very reflected in it because very specific um obviously with a bit of a a, a time shift difference in terms of like what the arrow was like but there was so much she was just a she was just a person right but there were details there that just fleshed her out that wasn't just like slapped on it's just like <laughs> as like a, a afterthought um so it's, you, this, this movie was just like immediately charming outside of that reflectivity as well and and having literally watched it twice like back to back um i was able to kind of just pick up and appreciate those things a lot more um yeah so i i don't know i i am that person that's the movie <laughs> apparently it's <laughs> like but, oh i feel seen i am seeing myself in media i'm literally here this is literally me um, <laughs> yeah. but no yeah like i had the very hyper and also also korean friend so that was hilarious to be like oh yep that's this i had the tall white lanky friend as well <laughs> It was like, and I had like the off goth friend. It was just, it was just kind of wild to look at that friend group and go, I can pick exactly which of my friends in middle school these were. <laughs> That's this is wild. <laughs> yeah, that was just a fun, a fun thing, and yeah, and just. It's just a it's just a lovely story that that that's all wrapped up into this. <laughs> yeah, it's it's you know it's a fun thing being represented in media finally. You know. Yeah. <laughs> what what about and that and honestly that's just a bonus, right? Like I'm, mm -hmm. I I love the story and the characters and everything around it already, and then it's just like a cherry on top to be like, and this is also like being able to see my myself, and 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 my experiences and uh, people like me represented in the movie, which is kind of amazing <laughs> yeah what about you sonia 
Oh my gosh. Okay, so I've seen this movie probably way too many times already. I saw it with my sister uh, the day it came out. I watched it by myself. I was like background noise while I worked. And then I watched it again with my mom because I was like, mom, we're watching this right now. <laughs> um, but like, it's, it's it has to do with like what, what's already been said. It's like that opening monologue. Like me and my sister were listening to that open monologue and both of us went, oh no. <laughs> <laughs> like it like Malin's experience is not one-to-one but there are those common threads of like my parents are both immigrants my dad is like you know mixed from a country in South America called Suriname and he studied in Holland before immigrating to the United States my mom was born in the Philippines and my mom denies this <laughs> but that part where she's she's like your parents came here to get and work super hard to like make sure that you have the a life that they never had and you, the least you can do is everything that they said and i looked over at my mom like yeah that sounds familiar she's like i never said that nothing i'm like you literally <laughs> they don't hammered need that to into say my it. head you literally hammered it in my head about like how, how far you had to walk in the philippines to go to and from school and all that stuff but um so like it, May's experience was like super relatable because I too was in that phase of like I wanted to please my parents, but also due to un, like undiagnosed ADD, suddenly me as the gifted child could no longer mask um, being super smart because my grades were starting to falter because of like I couldn't focus in school. So kind of like the gifted child, perfect child expectations suddenly falling away, but also going through that phase where you're starting to come into your own and break away from your parents and just very specifically what May Lynn went through with the drawings. Oh my God. (laughs) The drawing scene is probably one of my favorite scenes because that is exactly what happened to me. My drawings looked like that. And like when I finally like got like a crush on a like a crush on a guy for the first time, it was like, I guess he's okay in the stupid eyes and fully rolling under the bed. And then also the fact that I had the power to draw. Like I was like it's literally that. It's literally yeah, that meme. Like like that like that meme is me back then. And me now, because after I watched Turning Red, I went back up to my room and started drawing shippy fan art of my OCs on my Sadiq. <laughs> That's amazing. That's so amazing. it was just like, I loved, like, there was so much of May that I saw myself, as well as her friend group, because um, for our viewers that saw on Twitter our post, if you saw the picture of me, I'm wearing a black shirt, band shirt for a band called The Used. And, uh, for me, I feel like I am a combination of Maylin, Priya, and Abby. Abby, because I am hyperactive and cannot be stopped. <laughs> May, for the obvious reasons. Like, with Abby, and she said, let's burn this place to the ground! I'm like, oh, look, it's me. <laughs> but, like, and then Priya specifically, because I saw her, I'm like, this is a girl that wants to be goth super bad but her parents are not letting her dress that way. And with me with that shirt for the use, that was the closest I could get to being an emo slash scene kid back in the day. And like, until like I gradually just start buying more and more black shirts. And then suddenly my mom's like, Oh no, what has happened? <laughs> but like, yeah, like, so I've just related to those characters. And then also just like from an art per- perspective, like the art and the animation direction, the color direction, it's like so good. Like the sailor moon influences, like you find scattered throughout the background. Like I finally get it when those film bros are like, Oh yes, that is a reference to Hitchcock. Now it's my turn, bitch. That's uh, a reference uh, to yes, Sailor Moon. That's a reference to Sailor Moon. <laughs> 
<laughs> I turned. But, um, uh, truly, we were like, truly, the director is uh, is a person of taste. I see uh, you are a man of culture as well. We've got like a like a little pipe that looks like the Sailor Moon Crescent wand stick, and it's just bubbles coming out of it. Ah, yes. Speaking yes. of Sailor Moon, you know, I used to take pottery classes with the voice actress who was Luna. <gasps> what? That's so cool. Yeah. We're just oh gonna drop this on us. Really yeah, I like this, this name drop. God. Oh, but, by um, the way. In regards to the art, yeah. But also, like, just in regards to the art, like the lighting is so beautiful. I love the use of colors. Like May's friend group, they're like all compl- They're actually all complementary colors on the color wheel. So we have red, blue, uh, purple, and yellow. So they all complement each other. But then there's also like the color language of like May and her mom are kind of going in opposite directions. So May is red, and then every woman in the family who has like you know rejected the panda and locked that away they're all dressed in green the ceiling circle is in green may's mom is on the verge of snapping at any given moment so her red pendant is like the most prominent piece of like red panda jewelry you see throughout the series whereas like everybody else is a little bit more disguised and stuff which is like those little bits of color language is like don't be she let me in your brain yeah <laughs> But she yeah. is. She's letting you in her brain. I know, but yeah. it's great. I don't want to live there. <laughs> so, and Jin Lee is like neutrals. <laughs> yes, Jin Lee is stabilizing I, I neutrals. I did not even think about the color. Like, I thought about the different, like, scenes and, like, the backdrops, but I never thought about the characters and then yeah, how no. their interactions mm-hmm. uh, are reflected in that. That's really cool. Yeah, the color theory of this movie is top notch, as is the soundtrack. I think I just spent oh, music design so First of all, like, well, but- Phineas. Oof. Phineas. <laughs> they nailed the 90s at boy band sound oh, so yeah. well oh, yeah. and also just like the addition of like the new jack swing with the traditional chinese yeah the, the, com- the fusion it of it all is did such an amazing job he's also known for the mandalorian and for black panther so i'm not surprised he like managed to tie together um all of this in a beautiful respectful way mm-hmm. yeah. yeah what about what about you steve yeah this was an interesting movie for me i liked it i thought it was really really good but my childhood was nothing like any of the characters there so one thing i really liked about the movie is that despite all of the trials and tribulations it's a very warm movie so everyone just kind of has like heart there's a lot going on and despite all the pain and frustrations and all that kind of stuff there's a very genuine heart there my childhood growing up was much colder than that and my childhood growing up was probably more of like the stereotypical you know asian boy growing up where i didn't get to hang out with friends after school i went directly home and did homework i never went to a concert because i was told we could never afford that um so i never had these like ideas of you know hanging with your friends making a plan like making making sure you can like go to this concert kind of stuff that would be completely out of the question in addition you know, my parents, we didn't watch TV together, so we don't get to share that moment. Uh, when it came to mealtimes, we didn't talk to each other. So my childhood growing up is not like this at all. That said, the movie itself, I can see exactly what's what's going on. And the word I would use to describe it is intentional. So I can feel the director putting in the intention behind certain things. And that allows me as a viewer to understand more about their perspective. And that's really, really important because I knew going into this that it probably wouldn't be my perspective, but I'm here to watch it, to connect with it however I can, and then take that away and think about it more 
and then continue that conversation with other people who I love and respect, kind of like we are right here. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So that's one reason why I'm so happy we're doing this because I'm coming from this like, oh, it's a really cool movie. Here are the things like I really stood out for me. I'd love <clears> to know what kind of stood out for you. Where do we overlap and where don't we? Because I think that's really good for both of us. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I uh, similar similar to you, Steve. For, so for context, I, we should have said this too. For context, I was born and raised in Toronto. I actually went to the same elementary school as Domishi. Um, and it's actually a st- the name drops in this More episode. But the, but the, uh, but the school yeah. is interesting because it's it's so far from where she grew up, like where she lives. Um, but it's also not very close to Toronto's core. Like her experiences and all the Chinatown references are not of the central Chinatown in Toronto. It's actually Toronto's East Chinatown um, mm. that they reference a lot, especially in that streetcar scene in the beginning. That's 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 East Chinatown and far and beyond. Um, so for so for me, my when I watched it, very very similar reaction to you, Steve. For me, it was like. On one end, it was like, oh, super cool. This is Toronto. I, I get that. On the other end, my initial reaction is honestly envy. That was oh, my yeah. initial reaction to this movie, and it was envy. Um, and I know my, my partner is actually watching the stream, which is why I delayed us starting a little bit so she could get home <laughs> to watch it. Um, but like for, for me, my reaction was envy because in this movie, all of the negative aspects of May's experience and all the negative things that they talk about in the film with the the trauma and all of that, that was my childhood. But none of the positive things that she had were a thing that I ever experienced like you, Steve, right? Like I had like the overprotective parents couldn't hang out with friends. Um, I don't have those childhood friends that I'm still in touch with. I don't have any of that. Um, Literally, my parents tried to control every aspect of my life. So I wasn't able to experiment with fashion. None of that. Um, for me, when we were talking about like one of the, the questions was like, well, what was the, the thing you remember most or cling to when you were like around that age? For me, <laughs> the, the biggest thing that I had to like kind of distance myself from that sort of trauma that I was unknowingly experiencing was actually D&D. Um, so when you're talking about like your, your binders and all of your art and all of that, for me, it was like just making D and D characters that I might not ever get to play and drawing them. Mm-hmm. So for me, what I think drew me to the movie was the fact that a, it was like a set in my hometown. Like it is very explicitly Toronto. The only mistake they make is that they don't say it properly. They say Toronto <laughs> the entire time. I get it for accessibility purposes, but you got to have at least one character say Toronto. You, you gotta. Um, I, I 100% agree. Um, so it was like, okay, I, I get it. Um, on the other end, there were like two things that I would have changed in terms of like, if you wanted to really make it a, like a, a super deep cut nod to Toronto, it was you gotta say Toronto and you have to have an old Chinese guy speaking Toysan. Like you have to have like that, that dialect in there. But I get it. For accessibility purposes, I great. It's a great sort of... Um, the way of showing a city that you don't see a lot of in in media. Now, what I think I love most about it was that, A, there's the sort of envy side and a really, really well done encapsulation of the trauma I experienced as a kid. But I think 
if I were to summarize it in one sentence, the thing that makes Turning Red a fantastic film and one that is understandable to those who are not Chinese Canadian kids who grew up in Toronto in the, in the, you know, in the 90s and early 2000s is the fact that it's a film about the conversations that I wish I had with my parents when I was a kid. That is the movie to me, right? You don't have to be Chinese to understand that. I'm sure that there are so many people who are watching this or listening to us who have had childhood experiences that they wish they could have talked to their parents about or things that you wish you could have said when you were 12, but you didn't get to say until you were 30. Yeah. Right? Mm -hmm. Like, I think for me, so like, while I did, I mentioned in our chat um, that um, like, they someone said in our chat, like maybe the warmer experiences to relate to more mixed folks. Hi, everybody. My name is Sonia. I was on the mixed race panel twice. Um, And as someone that is mixed, while I did have a lot of buck wild awkward moments in my life largely that was because of school but at home my parents are both doctors my mom is a pediatrician and my dad is a gastroenterologist peds gi um, who worked two hours away from our house no matter where we moved um so for the vast majority of my life my parents were largely busy working and if they were not working they were basically when my ADD started kicking into high gear and suddenly I, my grades started dropping that is when the control started re- the, the the grip they had on me started really coming down i couldn't hang out with friends i only had to do a study um, to try and get my grades back up because they did not understand what was happening. They thought that my friends were bad influences because my grades were dropping. So that bit where Ming is just like, oh, I'm not sure about that Miriam girl. And she's like, your mom doesn't like me. Like that was <laughs> my mom with my friends. And just like going through that sort of like controlling aspect or just like my mom not letting me go to concerts. Like I was so close to going to a My Chemical Romance concert and I messed up on one thing the day of the concert. I didn't get a signature from what or I, because I had ADD, my teachers were hardcore, like monitoring me to make sure I got all my assignments. And I missed one assignment that week and my teacher made a note of it. My parents saw that when I came home and they did not let me go to the concert, even though I was supposed to go that night. Wow. <laughs> um, and then just like, they, they wouldn't let me hang out with friends after school, et cetera, et cetera. So I became extremely depressed and whatnot. But the thing is, my story reflects, is very similar to May's, but in more of a, over the course of, from eighth grade to the end of high school because whereas May's entire path to healing happens within that movie my path to healing took many many years and astonishingly enough my parents when they finally saw that I was in desperate dire straits because I had reached that point where um I was not safe to be alone by myself I was very you know mentally fraught with depression anxiety and just because undiagnosed ADD and I could overhear my parents going like we don't know what's wrong with her she's never gonna go anywhere in life and it was very traumatizing and I commend my parents because they finally admitted that something was wrong and they actually let me go to therapy to a bet to an even greater which is huge especially you know because like the the stigma within the Asian community of like mental health seeking mental health not a whole lot of people do that like I went to my voice teacher and was like yeah I'm going to therapy and she's like your parents are letting you go to therapy yeah we're gonna <laughs> and, we we should definitely focus the conversation on on that because there is yeah. some there is some context to that right there yeah. are cultural reasons why these conversations there are aren't happening why. and like to a greater point, once I started going to therapy, my therapist was like, okay, Sonia, this is not all your fault. Your parents also need to come in too. 
My parents also went the extra mile to actually go to therapy with me to understand what they were doing and how they were harming me. So my experience is actually reflected in a little bit of May's experience in that Ming actually acknowledges that maybe she should let go of her daughter. Maybe she should let her daughter be who she is. And like at the end of the film, I wanted to cry because when Ming let her daughter go out to karaoke with her friends, I saw myself at like finally 18 years old and my mom is letting me finally walk out the door. It's like, I'm going to go hang out with my friends. It's like, okay, honey, be safe. Just call me when you're about to come back. I'm like, it happened. (laughs) Yeah. So, but yeah, it was very, it's very cathartic in that, in that, you know, I had those similar experiences, but then had the catharsis, thankfully had the catharsis of actually seeing that through in my life. Yeah, I, uh, I, I, just to briefly comment, um, I had a similar experience as well, where I, unlike, it was, I think, really important to me watching this film to see a happy Asian marriage to see a happy Asian diaspora. Oh my, God. Mm-hmm. Um, my parents uh, should not have been married <laughs> to each other to see to, to to put a fine point on it, and it was really rough growing up uh, with that kind of with that kind of environment for many many reasons, and I think when that happens, um, you know, you as the kid become kind of the only part of the family unit that can receive unconditional like love, especially when there's no other siblings, like I was the only kid. And so when both partners are looking at their kid being like, you need to be the summation, the culmination of everything that we expect from you. And you start realizing that these expectations, like I started realizing at a very young age that these expectations were in many ways coming from something in there, like in their psyche, not like me. This isn't about me. This is about you. Um, And I wasn't really able to get any kind of closure with that until I think my late 20s, honestly, um, when they had both been been long divorced and had since found other partners. So it was, I think, just very striking to me to see a a loving family that for all of its complications and its generational divides um, still has a sense of empathy and love. And this is not just between Jin, Jin and Ming, but also between Ming and her family as well. Right. Mm-hmm. Like the moment when spoiler um, grandma's like, you know what? I'm, I'm a panda out too. And then we get the epic, like auntie grandma panda moment. Auntie squad. Oh, yeah. auntie squad coming in, you know, it's like, you know, we're going to risk this again because we love you and we want you to be okay. And we know that this is what we're needing to do in order to make that happen. So um, I think it was just really wonderful to portray that, especially given so much media representation of Asian families being like tiger mom or like, yeah. yeah. And I mean, like, this is not to say that of course, you know, like I had grew up in a very abusive tiger momish household, but it's, great that not every family is like that and it's great to see that it's not just this one thing i i made some kind of twitter comment about how this was done in like dire contrast to the strixhaven story from magic the gathering last year um in that story you know we we have the tiger parent kind of just running wild (laughs) that old trope whereas here we are actively 
deconstructing that. We are actively meeting that. We are taking it down. So like Ming is still a tiger mom, but she's a tiger mom that we can understand the motivations behind why she's doing what she's doing. And like, we see the reasons why she's kind of in that tiger mom aspect, just like through the revelation of her own personal generational trauma and whatnot. Yeah. I mean, to that extent, I feel like she just becomes more of an overprotective immigrant mom more than like the the actual, the tiger mom that I guess referring strictly to like, the book. Oh, the yeah. Book. Okay, then that makes yeah. sense. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, well, speaking uh, of being Sandra Oh, voice acting. Yeah. Plus, <laughs> I mean, everybody, everybody, everybody in that movie, James Hong, first of all, come on. Like, yeah, I was like, hey, James. grab that crash. was so yeah, fucking, fuck, fucking legend. It was ridiculous. Legend. It's true. Uh, and also, all like appropriate racially for who they were, like, we didn't have any weird voice acting like as much as we normally do. It's like, hi, yeah. here's an Asian person voiced by a, a white here's person. Here's your South honestly, Asian I, representation with one South Asian voice actor. I, I'm <laughs> honestly just glad that they didn't put Aquafina in the movie. Let's be honest. Yeah. Um, for for yeah. me, it was like it's interesting hearing your your story, Sonia, because mine is like the exact opposite. Like mm-hmm. I had to endure so much growing up um i was like first of all like undiagnosed adhd when i was a kid i did not and dyslexia i did not succeed in school until i was in university i had a great aid teacher who straight up told my parents in front of me that she didn't think i was going to go to high school right i've had one good teacher uh, before I got to university. And when I was a kid, you know, I'm the older brother, right? I am the, all the Asians are going to get this. I am the first son's first mm-hmm. son. Oh, no. Right? So oh. like, oh, no. <laughs> like, this shit is rough. So not only do I have undiagnosed ADHD and dyslexia as a kid, I also have a OCD, which I get from my mom. Um, now, at the same time, I'm not doing well at school. I have a ton of energy. I get into fights. I go to the office all the time, right? It is like awful, awful, like just could not. And my parents' solution was not to talk about it or to see why, was to be like, you know, we're just going to fill Daniel's life with more shit. Yeah, because if we even fill it every single second of the day, it's got to burn off it's his energy somehow. It's got to burn it off. So my, well, you my, don't have time to get in trouble. Exactly. You don't have time to get in trouble. Yeah. Or as my dad says, you have no time to go hang out at the mall. So mm-hmm. what my parents did was like, first they were like, the Canadian thing, we're going to put you in hockey, right? Um, and then we're going to pull you from hockey and then you're going to do figure skating so that when you go back to hockey, you'll be better. Wait, what? You were... You were you did figure skating? skating? Oh yeah, I'm a, I, I could skate. <laughs> Daniel's just like dropping all these um, bombs. Like, and then oh, we're good. And then, but then my dad's like, "Oh, I don't like." And this is actually a really good thing that my dad did. Kudos to, to my dad. Uh, he said, "I don't like like the culture of hockey parents and parents <laughs> yeah. who take their kids to hockey." So you know what I'm gonna do? I'm gonna put you in like the whitest sport ever: competitive swimming. Um, <laughs> and then we're gonna put you in competitive swimming. And literally up until grade 12, my, my life, my day consisted of getting up at five o'clock, 
my dad drives me to the pool, my brother too. We train. I walk to school with a backpack, a backpack, and my gear. I walk to school. Go to school. I'm there before everyone else, right? I eat breakfast at school. I do school. I walk back to the pool after school and do my homework in the bleachers. I train again, and then my dad picks me up. I go home and I eat dinner again, finish homework, go to sleep. That was my life Mm -hmm. Um, for most of my childhood, right? Um, And I didn't have a lot of Asian friends because of this, because the sport at the time, super white. Um, And so for me, the sort of respite from this I got was when I started working in high school, like getting a job meant I didn't have to be around the things my parents wanted me to do. Yet I was your freedom. It was get literally getting a job was my freedom. And it was like, it was the one thing I could control in my life. And it was me getting a summer job at the museum and then working there on the weekends. And it meant I didn't have to train on the weekends. It meant I can actually go and do something I liked. Um, I also, you know, happen to have like a life threatening nut allergy. So when you have an Asian tiger mom and there is a thing that could kill her, her son, well, good luck being able to do things. Um, uh, and for me, it was like not doing well in school meant constantly being the point of negative comparison to like my younger brother. Mm-hmm. Um, who in the, for this point of comparison is, is more because what is neurotypical, right? Um, is more conventionally neurotypical in the eyes of my parents um, than me. And so I have to deal with always being the person who fucks up everything. Like started reading late. My parents will go around and be like, it, I have heard my mother say this. It's like, it, I am so amazed that Daniel got into a PhD program because you know he didn't know how to read until he was in grade two and would just like just like throw this stuff out there like I that was by that was by childhood or like I mean maybe Steve you could relate to this bamboo feather duster like bamboo feather duster was like a big part of my childhood right maybe maybe the other Asians here um, maybe not Kiana because you're kind of the the baby in this call Um, (laughs) but you know anyone who's over 30 the bamboo feather duster was a big thing for me uh, i actually wrote this down because at the beginning of the the episode i said daniel's baseball story and stairs so i did really well in sports and one of the things was my dad wanted me to to get good at sports not because he wanted me to um actually be a professional athlete because Nobody's going to do that, I say, as I wear like a Jeremy Lin jersey. Um, (laughs) But because my dad wanted me to blend in more and he saw sports as a way of me taking on more whiteness. Mm. Um, My parents' house. So uh, my parents also, I grew up in a really white neighborhood. Um, So for those in Toronto, I grew up in High Park. That's like super white neighborhood. And across from my parents' house is... um, I don't want to like dox my parents <laughs> across my parents house. There was another, there's another home and they have this like sort of like concrete staircase. And my dad used to do this thing where he used to, I used to have it. He used to give me a tennis ball and I used to have to throw the ball and hit the steps in order 
up and then down. And I couldn't come in until I did it in order. And if I missed, I'd have to start again. And so I had to do this. This was my childhood. Um, it was like, oh, you want to learn how to you know, catch a ball better? We well, have to learn how to dodge them. And they'll just whip balls at me. Yeah. Oh my god. I had I had yeah. the stereotypical Asian childhood, except mm-hmm. I am not the overachieving Asian. So for me, again, the reason why turning red resonated with me was because it's what I actually fantasized having. Right? It's like I couldn't see anything other than having this kind of familial relationship, but at least I could be good at things that my parents would be proud of. So 12-year-old Daniel is like, Malin is, is living the life that I would have wanted. And the traumas that she has to deal with, that's just part of the deal that I would get, right? And that's kind of where I want to segue into. And it's this idea of intergenerational trauma, right? Like, what is that? How do we all perceive that? Because intergenerational trauma like, affects communities very differently. And it's not an exclusively Asian thing, as we've seen with the incredible film that is Encanto. When I say intergenerational trauma, like what do you folks think? Uh, well, first of all, just thank you for sharing, Daniel. No worries. I, you, know, you know how I'm just like, now I'm just like hardwired to turn my trauma into a segue. Um, oh, but, mood. You've been podcasting too long. But like, that's how you spot maybe podcasters. That's something and- we need to address. <laughs> <laughs> Now for today's sponsor, HelloFresh. <laughs> but if you ever you're actually, at a party well, and someone what? turns like, their trauma into like a story, you can be like, you podcast, don't you? Podcast, don't well, you know what? We actually, Steve, we had a conversation about taking on a potential sponsor for the next couple episodes. And, and we were like, no. Is it HelloFresh? No. It wasn't HelloFresh. <laughs> Hello we were talking about this. We yes. were talking about this. And we said no, no to sponsors. Thank you, patrons. Oh, my God. Um <laughs> Let's let's do no, you doing okay. I'm, go, I'm, go, I'm okay. I'm okay. You good? You know how you like deflect with with comedy. This is yeah. Yeah, oh, I'm yeah. gonna um, be like we're just gonna take the podcaster dial. But, but and let's like, just but let's turn it down a little. I bit. don't want to. I do want to dive into this intergenerational trauma thing. I like. I have a definition in my head and my notes of of what it is, but I would love to know what kind of comes to your mind when you when you hear those those words intergenerational trauma, because it is a core theme of turning red. Like Steve, I, I want to know what you think. Yeah, I mean, let's let's go back to like the bamboo feather duster and all that kind of stuff. Let's talk. So about what that. we're talking about is we're talking about hitting your children. Um, yes. So yes. when Daniel said bamboo feather duster, it didn't connect with me because my parents used their hands to hit me. Um, but I understand because talking to other Asian uh, boys, especially, um, that's what was going on. And then of course for uh, girls and all children, there are various ways that this might affect your childhood. So when it comes to intergenerational trauma, I remember sitting around thinking, you know, why are they hitting me? But why is it not okay if I hit someone my age at school? And part of like that realization, like a, a, a milestone moment for me was like, oh, it's because their parents hit them. So parents are allowed to hit people. People aren't allowed to hit other people unless they have that relationship, which saying out loud, super fucked up, but also... You know, that is kind of what's going on. So when intergenerational trauma comes up, what I think about is traditions, I'll call them rituals, acts that perpetuate through each generation 
And it creates this kind of bonded experience for better or oftentimes worse. So when I think of introduction drama, I'm thinking of like those actions permeating through the generations. And then what I can do is I can think about it and and, dis- and discover how I want to engage with it moving forward. Yeah. And, you know, once we kind of go through everybody and kind of get our collective sort of definition of it, I, I would love to talk about examples within the film and in, in real life. They don't necessarily have to be our own personal experiences of this to provide some context to folks. Well, what about the rest of you? When we say intergenerational trauma, what do we mean by that? Kiana, you should... Oh, yeah, sure. <laughs> <laughs> um, so when someone experiences trauma, that does change them as a person in terms of how they perceive the world, how they perceive actions, how they, and because they have received harm of some form and long lasting impactful harm. Um, and if it's not appropriately addressed or if it's not worked through um, in a specific way that is able to get them to heal from that trauma uh, and that harm, they will, uh, in their next generation, that will change how they act and how they approach things. And it can then cycle that, cycle a form of, of trauma and harm to their children or to the next generation. Um, so that's generally how I perceive it is this idea. And because the trauma is not exactly the same all the time, um, it often evolves from generation to generation, what that uh, ends up looking like and what it ends up uh how I say, how it comes across and what it manifests as for each generation. But it does mean that it's, it's something that's passed down and it's because there's somewhere along the line, there was a root harm that happened that wasn't addressed. And then it just gets continued forward until somewhere along the line, like for in the movie, they, they address it. Like they go, hey, okay, we need to stop this. We need to look at this and go backwards. Um, so that's that's generally where I see intergen- and intergenerational Usually family to family, usually parent to child, but not necessarily. Sometimes it's grandparents to grandchildren. Sometimes it's, you know, uh, a little even more tangential than that. But that's generally what we're talking about here. Um, and, and can even be expanded out to communities. So like, you know, this generation of a community uh, and then, you know, the next generation. But they're not even directly related, but there's still a shared bond there. Uh, where, again, where something, a trauma that happened that was not resolved get passed down and involved uh about each each phase of uh this communities or families uh lifetime and family tree yeah mm-hmm. yeah what about the rest of you sonia michelle um i mean i for me it seems a lot after watching and experiencing general tra- uh, generational trauma at the end of the day i think it really boils down to what I would almost describe as toxic, like toxic empathy, almost in the sense that we, what we are inheriting from previous generations is a series of deep, deep rooted negative emotions that somehow become a part of our identity as a culture, as individuals and without whose presence we can no longer define ourselves in a way. And this does generally come, like Kina said, from some kind of past um, 
incident that may have happened. And sometimes it can, sometimes it isn't necessarily toxic, but oftentimes it is. Like one of the things I thought of, for example, was, um, I mean, of course we all talk about the immigrant story, but the first thing that came to my mind actually when we were talking about this was, uh, if anyone has seen Crazy Ex-Girlfriend, um, there is a scene where Rachel goes back to, I think, a bar mitzvah, and then they all sing the song of Pia Lapone, and it's like, remember that we suffered. And it's all about like the um, Jewish diasporic like entire feeling of just like remember that our people suffered during the holocaust like in the the torah like it is part of our heritage as people is part of who we are and that's just one example and i'm certainly not qualified to say like how that affects um folks within jewish culture but oftentimes when it's in the examples of encanto and turning red we can see how we repeat these patterns. We, we, we basically follow almost the same dance form in order to elicit the same point of view and the same emotions in another person so that we can grow together. We can glom on together in this Katamari of trauma. Oof. Oof. That's a, that's a surprisingly powerful image. Yeah. Yeah, it's like we. I am forcing you to experience this, so you know how I feel. Mm-hmm. Mm. Yeah. yeah, it's a lesson. Yeah, learn from this. What, what about you, Sonia? Do you have anything to add to that one? Honestly, y'all covered it. Like, um, it is like what everyone in this this um, group has said. And just for me and my personal experience, because I didn't have the term intergenerational trauma for a very long time until you know I started reading up a bit on it more, and then just seeing the rip it's it it literally is just like that beginning of like that root is the first pebble that drops in a pond and then it just ripples out and if there's nothing to stop it it will just keep going and gets bigger and bigger and bigger and like it's just something that i have particularly seen with like my mom's side of the family like me and my family have actually like again i am probably like the oddball of the asian community in which case my parents went to therapy we went get help and all that stuff we have actually taken a lot of steps to actively say, no, we're not going to be doing this again because it's hurt people in the past. We can't do this. We have to make it stop because I've seen how it's hurt my mom. I've seen it starting to repeat itself with like extended family members and whatnot. And like, yeah, I honestly, I don't have much to add except for just my own personal experience. And just like, it's kind of wild to be, it's like Plato's allegory of the cave where the shadows on the wall are one thing for so long. And then when you step out of the cave and you realize what the shadows are, you can't see it the same way again. That's how it was for me with intergenerational trauma, where I just thought this was just kind of like, this is just how it is. Right. And then I learned the term and I'm like, Oh wait. Yeah. Hang on a second. (laughs) Yeah. It's so like part of you. Right. Yeah. Yeah. I think realize what it is. I think one of the, the most important aspects of the movie is that it is a great way for, a parents and like adults to kind of understand what intergenerational trauma is, but also a great way for parents and kids to kind of have a conversation about it. Yeah. I think in terms of what everyone said, um, intergenerational trauma is a, a very universal theme of the movie. It is one that anyone can relate to anyone that can relate to actually the term intergener- intergenerational trauma uh, actually arose from psychologists who studied the children of Holocaust survivors. 
Um, but uh, in terms of like kind of summarizing everything, um, in my notes, I wrote that intergenerational trauma is, is trauma that's passed down from those who directly experience it to subsequent generations. Like Kiana said, this could start with sort of an individual experience uh, or events that affect multiple family members, such as like siblings or even like the collective trauma of a larger community, like a cultural group or a population. Um, for instance, the Jewish community during the Second World War or the Chinese community during the Second World War. Uh, gra a great example from my childhood of this sort of intergener intergenerational trauma that I was able to deflect was the fact that my grandparents would be like, no Japanese people. Right. Um, and I was like, no, that's wrong. But one aspect of intergenerational trauma is how deeply embedded it becomes in our lives. It becomes something that you accept, right? Like I said, like, yo, I want May's life because she has friends. She has some freedom. Her parents are proud of her achievements. And in that, I didn't even say, oh, yeah, but well, she's got to deal with all this trauma because I'm like, yeah, that's just kind of a part of my life, right? Because how deeply embedded it becomes in, you know, families and these family trees this manifests in learned behaviors in, in your responses to this kind of abuse right sure. and that said it just becomes incredibly difficult to acknowledge until you're like you said sonia until you wait 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 this is a thing until you actually read <laughs> into this being a thing right yeah um oh wait like and in uh in turning red there is a thing that kind of prevents that acknowledgement from happening. Because remember, the, the, these things don't exist in a vacuum, right? They exist in this sort of like intersection of like culture, psychology, different family dynamics, different levels of family. And one that is very, very obvious in this movie, if you are Chinese, is the concept of face and the culture of silence in Chinese culture, but also wider Asian cultures when, when we're talking about the culture of silence, right? Um, because the culture of silence and the fact that you don't talk about your trauma and you don't talk about your mental health and where someone like you, Sonia, says, hey, I had an atypical Asian experience because we went to therapy, right? <laughs> Me here being like, like, I've gone to therapy myself, uh, but I, no way am I ever going to be able to get my parents to go or even articulate what that is um some things that i've talked to you folks about that i won't talk about on air but i got a, a diagnosis recently and i talked about it to my parents thinking that it would bring up positive conversation i tried to turning red my life um mm -hmm. but just the end of turning red um and my parents blamed me for it this was like six months ago um, so yeah. in Chinese culture, we have multiple intersecting social concepts. Um, the most important of which are called, um, Mianzi face and Lian, which is kind of uh, a related term to face that represents your personal integrity and your moral character, right? So these all tie into another thing that is present in many cultures called filial piety. Right? the behaviors, the intentionality behind your actions that are related to respect and being good to one's parent, 
related to things like Confucianism and things like that for Chinese people. Face is a very distinct part of Chinese culture, and it is very clearly on display in this movie. So if you didn't listen to episode 37 of Asians Represent, where we talked about this um, with some amazing guests, um, Face is basically a representation of the positive image of yourself. Malin talks about this in the beginning of the movie. I get straight A's. I'm good at all of this stuff. But underneath it all, there's this sort of darkness that she hides, right? Her mother is this very proud tiger mom. But underneath it all, she was hurt because of the way she had harmed her mother, right? Um, but they don't talk about this because your face is that image that you have. It's this it's almost like your identity. It's your status, your power, your reputation. It's what you can wield against other people. It's what you cultivate, right? The more face you have, the more seriously and respectfully people treat you. Um, now, in Turning Red, for those of you who are listening or watching or even in the, the Zoom call here um, who have never heard of the term face could probably see how this can kind of drive a lot of social interactions for Chinese people within and between families or within, you know, or between individuals, right? A lot of people don't like to ask for help. Steve, you of all people know I'm terrible at it. I'm terrible <laughs> yeah, at do. it. Um, and you, you check me for it all the time and I appreciate it. Um, but not everybody has like a Steve in their life, right? Everyone should have Everyone a Steve. should have a Steve. Um, <laughs> And speaking, speaking of our new sponsor, Steve. speaking of our new sponsor, <laughs> the new wizard sponsor. school that is Steve. Hello, <laughs> Hello Steve. Steve. Hello, Steve. Oh. Every week, Hello, every Hello, week, Steve, Hello, Steve, is, Hello, Steve is just delivers a wizard. Every week, Hello, Steve delivers a new fresh wizard to your doorstep, able to help you help yourself. I, I, I would that. just imagine an app and it's just, it's just, it's, it's called Hello, Steve. And you just go, Hello, Steve. And it just tells you to be like, I love you. Or it's like, <laughs> or like, what's the tension in your life right now? I feel like it's just an app instead of this. Or it's just a recording of Steve like, hey, go to bed. Yeah, hey. <laughs> For Hello Steve Why are you Deluxe, tweeting you at 2 a.m.? Actual... <laughs> For the Hello Steve Deluxe one, you get an actual Steve sent to your doorstep. <laughs> For free hugs every day. It's so funny because like a couple days ago, I literally sent a tweet. Someone's like, why are you tweeting right now? <laughs> <laughs> yeah but like you, you know not everyone has the ability to, to kind of check you on on this thing and so a, a key part of this movie is how may struggles with her own individuality it's also this sort of clash between western and eastern values western mm -hmm. and chinese yeah. values yep. how she wants to be more individual she wants to just kind of go out and spend time with friends where she wants to do things that cost money. Um, yeah. <laughs> but then there's this idea of, I have to be good to my parents. I have to respect them because they gave me everything. Yep. Right? And like how you see that in the film, how much of a hold that has on her, like her mom's approval is so important that when the time comes and her friends are confronted by her mom, who has this perfect little image of her precious May May, that 
she's like, how dare you do this to my daughter and ma- make her exploit the, the the panda? And she would never do such a thing. And her friends was like, May, help. And, and then she turns on her she friends. Can't, she can't do it because that sense of filial piety has such a vice grip on her that the idea of betraying her mom is even at the cost of like abandoning her friends. She can't do it. <laughs> yeah. It's, it's a family thing. It's a yeah. family thing. So hard. And it's like, it, it's not just filial piety. She loves her. She mom. loves her yeah. mom. She loves her yeah. mom. Like that. I think I love that. That is never in question. The yeah. entire movie. Yeah. She just, yeah. she just it's- wants everything to be better for both of them. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. The, right. the whole the whole movie is that it's it is that it's a very loving family, which is absolutely wild to see in any form of of right. Western media to show an Asian family that so deeply loves itself and each other. Uh, that's like that's actually more reflective. Like I'm a bit of an oddball here, where I'm second, well, one and a half second generation, um, so I'm a little more removed from the from the immigrant. Uh, experience um, and also you know I my family uh, because they grew up you know in Canada um, I had a pretty open childhood a lot of like not a lot of restrictions but even then like I still had the um, the even set upon myself expectations of having to do well and having to have my family's approval <laughs> mm-hmm. so it's so important to to this movie because we can see like it's not just about the worst forms of inter- intergenerational trauma it's also how uh even like going forward uh culture uh cultural expectations and traditions don't remain uh and mix with with um with uh western expectations uh and the such as well um and it's also super interesting to look at it because some so many of my uh, Asian friends at the time were like, "You're," t- I I was the very non-stereotypical Asian. I was very into the arts. I was super into English and writing. I did really well in them. Uh, I even did percussion instead of flute or any of the other typical instruments. Wow! Uh, <laughs> uh, sorry, just to correct my- you, piano counts as percussion. So. Yeah, piano does count as percussion. So, uh, just- I was I was the typical. <laughs> get my medal. <laughs> I never yeah. did band. Yeah, no, I I was a band kid and I was a marching band kid and I was, but all of the more typical like first generation friends I had around me were like, uh, or rather not my friends. The other, I, I went to a very uh, Asian and white school and I was constantly told that I was a bad Asian. <laughs> uh, I was... Hey, you, were, you called, were you called a banana? Yep, called a banana. Ah, I was a called twinkie. a banana. Yeah, yeah Twinkie banana. <laughs> yep. Yeah, I'm like. A pen sword. No, stop and with that's... the banana comments. <laughs> <laughs> um, but yeah, it's like this this intergenerational trauma. Like I can I can still look at my own family and go, yeah, like there is some stuff there that that has carried into like how I exist in my life and all that stuff. Particularly my high expectation for how to do stuff, not asking for help, etc. Um, but also uh, an intergenerational trauma of people around me affects me as well like the idea of like hello <laughs> you have to be a very specific kind of person to be a real asian and i'm like it's, 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 it's. yeah so that's that's something i had to i had to experience and live with and 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 grow into I mean, let's not even talk uh, about the whole like 
the, the Thebes that were discussed in the mixed race episodes as well. Yeah. So yeah, so um having May having to and 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 I think there's also that very universal theme of well of learning how your parents are just people as well. Um and as you kind of grow into this messier relationship with your parents, um, as you understand them as people and you understand yourself as a person, both in relation to them and as an individual. Um, that's so much of the arc in the story is May being like, you know, I'm my own person. I'm also my mom's daughter. Um, and Except her mom being like, yeah, like go, <laughs> go far. Right? My favorite quote of the movie, just because also has like such a cool visual for me is like, I'm my own person, but some of her moves are also my moves. And just yeah. like, I, it's very then I, the reason why that saw that that line sticks in my head so much is because because i noticed on my second viewing of the movie there's that line and then there's the scene where may's mom goes ape shit in the daisy mart <laughs> and yeah. they're on their way home and may's just very quiet in the car she's like i'm fine i'm fine and her mom reaches over brushes her hair tucks it behind her ear and touches her shoulder in the scene where may is in that like spiritual realm where you know you're about oh, to you can oh. reject the panda and not or not she finds Ming as a teenager crying and she does the same exact move where she brushes her hair out of her mom's face and touches her shoulder. So I was just like (laughs) (laughs) Oh, so that was that exact moment when I paused the movie, I turned to my partner and I said, I'm going to cry. And (laughs) she looked at me and was like, What? And then I started bawling. Like, like uncontrollably saw it was ugly like i think i i I think i cried for like 10 minutes 15 minutes i I was yeah i like i had so at this point like my so my partner had been sitting next to me and then i grabbed his head and (laughs) it was like next to mine and then i had like a stardew chicken plush in the other hand no and then i had no i had my cat in the other arm and i was like (laughs) (laughs) just need someone to hold yeah (laughs) just uh, and it was that moment when i was like that's the realization that I want to have now I've talked a lot about like my own trauma and obviously, you know, with, you know, things like discussions of this, I do want to bring out some positive resolutions. One of the best things that ever happened to me and my family was actually the pandemic. Um, Because I'm not, I would never really like super close to my family and the pandemic actually brought us closer together. It was like, we're going to do everything that we can to spend time together because we don't know if, you know, if, if something could happen, the things that were important to us, things like money, status, you know, power, all of that shit are unimportant now because, well, that doesn't stop a virus. Right. So we got closer because of the pandemic like I call my mom every day to, to check on them, right? Um, my partner and I go to go to dinner with them every Sunday or every Saturday. Literally going going to dinner tomorrow for my dad's birthday, and you best know I'm picking up kanji queen for the Toronto Chinese people. Um, <laughs> best know I'm picking up kanji queen for him. Um, we're better off now because our priorities have shifted right? We don't talk about money or things like that anymore. We talk about, are you happy? Are you healthy? Are you doing well? 
I literally, um, we started playing D and D like, like in 2020 and my parents kind of understood what was going on. They still don't get it, but they kind of respect it now. Um, I told my dad about candle keep and I remember exactly where we were driving. Um, we were on Parkside going towards the lake shore, right where the park is. There's a little bridge on the highway. And I told, I told my dad that the book was out and it was a New York Times bestseller. And he said, I'm proud of you. And I actually saw a TikTok and they were like, you know what's the most inaccurate part of Shang-Chi? When his mom <laughs> tells him he's proud of it when he's a kid. Um, but that was the first time that I can recall my dad ever telling me he was proud of me for something that I did for myself, not something that I did for them. And so while I have decades of trauma to like unpack and deal with, I'm working on it. Right. And I can acknowledge it now. And with turning red, I have a tool to which I can say, Hey, let's talk about this movie. Right. Now, there was some pushback to this movie when it came out because a lot of people, particularly a reviewer named Sean O'Connell, who said, this movie is not good because I, a white man, cannot relate to it. And one of the, uh, we have lots of questions for patrons, so I want to make sure we focus on them. Um, but I'm one fine, of, I'm calm. <laughs> but by the way, I, I wish I wish he had said as a white man because it would have actually shown more. It would have actually more Literally, exactly. He could have just yeah. said, as a white man, I can't relate to this, but I can see why people like it. No, like, are your empathy muscles just that yeah. not stretched? And he went, like, it is exhausting to watch this movie. Just, like, I am so turn. sorry. You <laughs> cannot watch a girl go through magical panda puberty and empathize with a large po- well, population that goes through puberty and does this shit minus the panda. You cannot empathize with that. But for some reason, you can empathize with a car that has a face. You with- can empathize with a fish. You can play with a fish that loses his entire family, or garbage like robot. It's, or it's a too, it's robot. so niche. Or, or it's so a, niche. A, 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 yeah, like a rat that wants to become a, a rat. You like can a, believe, a yeah. 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 You can believe that the greatest chef in Paris is a rat piloting a scrawny redheaded white boy, like he's an even Evangelion. We first of all, talk about how the rat <laughs> has an American accent, but is a French rat. Yeah, let's talk about that. <laughs> Why everyone has an Ameri- everyone has an American accent except like three characters? Yeah, yeah. Like it's too niche and like so. So the the story of an old man and a chubby Chinese boy and a talking dog taking off in a flying house to South America is not niche. So <laughs> one one of the questions that our our patrons brought up was, um, and uh, is that you know we talk about the perception that turning red is a weak Pixar movie because it is not a universal story. I'm offended. <laughs> now, obviously, like, that is what Sean O'Connell, this writer, wrote in his original, now retracted review. Um, I will drop a link because the internet is forever to the original review <laughs> yes. in our chat. So uh, you folks mistakes, can read it. Mr. Um, if you're listening to the audio, 
Um, Patreon will have show notes on all of this stuff about inter intergenerational trauma and everything like that. But in his review, he basically said, hey, I can't relate to this. This movie is not for me. Therefore, this movie is not good. Um, yeah. And it was very much a symptom of how a lot of the critics that we rely on to learn about films are all white dudes. Um, oh, yeah. And that this movie... White dudes with... Like, sorry. The white dudes with that are so used to being catered to them and their experience that there is no desire to be like, oh, this movie is not for me, but I can see how other people. Yeah. Or like all the it. white critics who are like, oh, all these, all the, the cast members of Squid Game. How are you enjoying your newfound celebrity? Motherfucker. Motherfucker. <sighs> Spielberg saying that Squid Game yeah. celebs are like unknown. I'm like, excuse me. Do you, do you not know who this is? Yeah. Like, come on. But like it, for me, I, I think the the first sort of objective response is there are many universal themes in Turning Red. Um, the idea that your parents are people too. They are flawed and that's part of life. That's not a Chinese thing. That's not a Chinese-Canadian yeah, thing. That's not a and, Toronto thing. Yeah. Like growing mm -hmm. up, it's a very, this is a very, if you look down at, at this whole thing, this is a very typical coming of age story. Like I don't really know how oh, how yeah. more typical you can get of the the general arc of like child and parent. You know, they they love each other, but child wants to be more independent and more have their own life. Oh no, they're going to have conflict about it. Oh, they're going to resolve, and she's going to grow up, and so is her parents. And look at how like that is the most fucking stereotypical coming of age story arc you could ever come up with. Like, yeah. you see mm -hmm. it everywhere. You see it in, in tons of other movies as well. They have um, no problem when it comes to a boy and their dad going through that kind of emotional arc. But the yeah. second that it's with the mom and the daughter, they're like, I don't know how to relate And then God to forbid it'll be POC. Like, Freaky Friday came out. <laughs> yeah. With, with oh, yeah, yeah, a while back right. with Jamie Lee Curtis and, what was it, Lindsay Lohan? Lindsay Lohan. Yes. Yeah, I mean, that came out a while back and like people weren't up in arms. And now it's like, oh, because it's an Asian mom and an Asian daughter. And the, um, yeah, going uh, also in the uncomfortable uh, dressing. It's not uncomfortable because we need to talk about it. They're talking about puberty and having a period. I mean, that's a whole other thing, right? I mean, one, one thing is like, first, Wings! yeah, options. <laughs> first of all, the before we get into the puberty thing, because I do want to talk about that because there is a very relevant, like, uh, question from one of our patrons on this um the one of the things that i kind of have thought about when i've been looking at because i i read a whole bunch of reviews that were clearly not by written by asian people and it's that these characters don't fit into their perceptions of how asian people should be depicted in media boy howdy yep <laughs> Oh, right. <laughs> the same people who are like, oh, I can't relate to Turning Red or the same people who are like, yo, you know what movie was sick? Shang-Chi. How the fuck can you relate to Shang-Chi more than, than Turning Red? Were you used yeah, to, to be a Chinese a person? They're not doing kung fu. They're just, they just don't. They, like, yeah, how, if you, how it's does like, this if, happen? Yeah. If, your, if your childhood wasn't brought, was it doesn't somehow include people who did like, aerial wire work what is <laughs> the same what thing is as the people who are like black panther where did you grow up in a highly technologically advanced hidden african state how can you yeah, relate to that moonlight 
Yeah. Right? And I think I think it's important then to 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 take that one step further and go, does relatability or universal universality make a good movie? Uh I think so much of our of our media critique it's so focused us on the, on this idea of relatability. And I think they get tied into a lot of the ideas of representation as well. Like, oh, this is good representation because I can relate to it. Um, where like really a truly universal story is not an interesting one because you have no details, no context, no There's no nuance. There would be nothing there. It would be the most it would be one page and it would be you would have absolutely zero context with what's happening. Michael Bay's entire filmography. Not even that, because even that, that no, is it's true. That's true, actually. It, it is, it is universal, true universality well, what would that and hundred percent relatability. Doesn't them, exist. It doesn't exist. Then McVason woke Ma- up and ate a food. They slept. Yeah. Here's the thing. I, I, you're absolutely right. You're absolutely right, Kiana. It's. We're not looking for relatability, right? Because people are critiquing Turning Red based on its relatability and not the other aspects of it. It's storytelling, it's animation, 100%. right? It's the voice acting, the production, the art style, the, the, the color palette. Honestly, I thought that while I don't agree with all of it, I thought that you know, Accented Cinema's review of Turning Red was a really good one. It's a great review. It's not a glowing review like we're giving it, but there are very valid reasons for it. But people are not analyzing Turning Red for the same reasons that Accented Cinema is. People are saying it's not relatable. And you told me this was a kid's movie, but it's talking about puberty. This is not a movie for kids. And that's the thing that I want to dive into, right, that we started to bring up. And it's that the things like the themes, the puberty themes should never be in a Pixar movie. It's, yeah. So, so you know, like as a person who went through puberty, obviously, and who went through and had menstruation, like, and periods, like I was 12 when I had my first period. Like I was younger than May was. I was younger than a good proportion of this audience. And the same age is good. We're just like, and my parents made a very good effort to make that a positive experience, very much how, how Ming tried to make it like a positive experience. I was very well prepped for it. So like, it, it was kind of <laughs> like, a, oh shit, it's here. Okay, cool. Um, like It's happening. But that was <laughs> a lot of work that my family had to do to do that because that's not built into our culture. Um, and it's just wild to me that people think, and, and of course, this is all based on a puritanical culture uh, and all this stuff where like puberty, puberty and periods equals sexual maturation, which is the weirdest fucking thing that's ever, <laughs> that ever existed as a, as a jump. Um, and it's just, it's so like important to have a movie that was just like, yeah, this just person has going to have a period at some point. They have a family who's actually supportive and like prepared to help you with that. Like, great. I don't know how you could have a more easy way to talk about this topic yeah. if you didn't want to be someone who's like, so let me sit down and talk to you about period. Like, the- <laughs> yeah. Yeah. It just provides like 
like how we also can see like turning red opens up the conversations in terms of what generational trauma is and could potentially lead to the path of healing. Turning red also opens up the conversation to like, hey, mom, what's a period? Okay, sweet. I'm going to sit you down and explain what this is, whether regardless of whatever gender, because one, you can prepare your, your, your uh, like daughter for what is to come and, you know, prepare him for that. Two, if a boy asks, like, holy fuck, we have a potential now for a generation of boys who, if I stick a tampon in their face, they're not going to treat it like they're a demon reacting to a fucking crucifix. Yeah, it's, <laughs> it, it's, it is a lesson in empathy, right? Yeah, not, exactly. Not, yeah, for like, you know, um, for, for what folks have to go through, like, whether it be a biological thing, but also like a cultural mm-hmm. thing, mm-hmm. right? Yeah, yeah. It's, uh, it's a... The, well, go ahead. No, no, go ahead. I, I mean, just tying it back a little bit to the relatability, quote unquote, aspect of it. I think good storytelling comes from the details, right? Like, it is the things that set us apart that make wanting to read more about this more, more like more of a factor in my life. Like, reading about the epic of Gilgamesh. No one is that strong or has a cool friend who's also kind of a beast man named Enkidu and maybe spurns like a goddess. Like no one really has that experience, at least not to my knowledge. If you have lived the life of Gilgamesh, at me on Twitter. But <laughs> you're gonna get some people. <laughs> I mean like okay, better show the receipts. I want to see Enkidu. But anyway, I'm, but it's it's those details that I think that make this such unique and interesting movie i mean inside out i thought was also a really fun movie because it featured a lot of my hometown san francisco in in a lot of (laughs) similar way and i think i liked that right because it made it very interesting it made it unique i mean that's what makes the rat piloting a chef like interesting because it's a very unique experience and i think that's what makes turning red awesome it's a really fun story from a perspective that we don't get to hear very often. And a perspective that's often told that it should be, it is something, it's a perspective that's told by society. It is something to be ashamed of and something that should be Exactly. Mm -hmm. Because, I mean, let's face it, society hates teenage girls. It's one of the reasons why Twilight and so much of YA is considered like cringe or niche. Like even, um, even, even if you say like, oh, I read, um, I don't know what is it the the mortal engines or oh yeah a mortal engine shadow and bone shadow and bone, shadow yeah. and bone. Like, uh, Tamora Pierce like any number of really fantastic books that just happen to be in YA blah 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 like people will look down on you for it yeah so uh, it's it's really I think part of this is also just the fact that teenage girls get a lot of hate or like yeah. literally all of us talking about our love of shoujo manga like before this oh my I God. love shoujo I manga. love shoujo yeah. manga it's great. Um, but like people will definitely like at least back in when the bidet like you know with like the bullies in the anime club if it's not me breaking out for Shugi Yugi uh, during break they're like oh really I'm just like leave me alone let me have my girl based isekai <laughs> <laughs> yeah it's it just was so refreshing to have a Asian girl in in media like. Be cringy as fuck. Yeah, yeah, and it's so but it's cool good. to see her be messy, you, so loud, good. This is, and weird. This like, is what we like, want in diversity this of pin representation. Exists now, and oh, yeah. I love it. <laughs> yeah, it's so just, cringe. Yeah, because and this goes back to the whole thing, like having to deal with 
the emotions like literally says the whole like everyone has a messy part of themselves right and it's like that's true everyone does have a messy part of themselves and it's it was so nice to have a, a chinese girl be shown as having a messy part of themselves and like that was a good thing for her to embrace it like yeah. i can just imagine with this this movie if i had watched it when i was a teenager been like way more like oh yeah i can't be a fucking weirdo and it's fine and someone will I, love I you was, for yeah. it exactly <laughs> like exactly Jimmy. yeah we were talking about ming's panties like it was quite destructive but your mother <laughs> she was incredible and i'm like get you get you someone who will love you and your messy panda side Me- like, your messy Jimmy. kaiju panda side <laughs> Yeah, yeah. And it's just it's just so important to like have that and to uh, because that is a message that's not just for Chinese girls, right? It's just also a message for for everyone that like being messy and true to yourself is difficult. It's it's a difficult thing, especially if you're if you live uh, a certain life that has certain traditions and everything. Um, but being true to yourself and learning how to mesh the two together, those two parts of your of yourself, the many multiple multifaceted parts of your life together is an important thing. Um, and it's just, yeah, it's just people need to stop talking about relatability because the important thing is, is it a good story? And if we're relating to it, again, like I've talked about, it's just a cherry on top. It's just another thing to put on top of it as like a, a, to enjoy that experience. But that doesn't make it a that doesn't that's not the entirety of the experience yeah. the entirety of the experience is these characters the entirety of the experience is the storytelling the entirety of the experience especially of an animated film is the artwork is the the craftsmanship right everything about it is what made it a good experience and then for myself being able to relate to it which is great that was just another thing that just made it lovely to me but i still would have gone and i was talking to like my family about it it's like yeah this movie's not relatable to everyone that doesn't matter. <laughs> that doesn't yeah. change that's, anything about it. Doesn't it doesn't change anything. So, okay, I want to go through a couple of questions. There is a topic on our agenda that we haven't covered yet. Uh, that we talked cool. about Sonia that I that I would like to address, but like I'm talking about okay. in our private chat, I honestly mm-hmm. think it just it it should be a part of a larger conversation, and I don't want it to be a footnote. Um, now we have a couple of questions that I think we could go through pretty quickly from our patrons. First one is a really simple one. That's I don't not a simple one. Oh, caught myself there. Uh, is a very good question related to what we're talking about, and it's what is the youngest age you would suggest for a child to watch this movie? Um, ooh, that's a good one. It's a good one. I don't know because like my niece is like two years old she's probably watched it <laughs> i think people are gonna like it i mean the youngest ones are really gonna like it because it's got a cute red panda cute panda right Big red panda. i think honestly it's if they can understand the like the movie or just enjoy the visuals i think that's more than enough it's a movie yeah. that you can watch multiple times and get a lot of value out of it right yeah i think the only thing i would have in terms of like an age restriction is if you have a kid that is a little bit more you know timid um they might not be There's so crazy about bits. when the kaiju bits. Yeah, that's true. <laughs> kaiju they bits might are not definitely be, they, a lot. Yeah, they might not be super into the giant, giant yeah, panda cause... destroying stuff. But I think, generally speaking, we don't put an age restriction on most Pixar movies. It's true. Yeah. So I'm just going to say whatever you – the way that you generally are like – Maybe we don't want to have the the whole in up, for example, the scary scene of the dogs chasing the the bird, and it's just like 
basically shot like a horror film. Uh, <laughs> like maybe <laughs> not have like if you don't want to address that, that's fine. I don't think the topics it's themselves yeah, are the really topics. an age restricted thing. Or the story itself is not an age restricted thing. It's more Agreed. like a it's like this honestly honestly yeah, it's, it's the visuals and how your child can handle it because like my niece for a very long time when she was one was terrified of the short lava because of the big boom <laughs> the there, there are there are layers there are layers to turning red that you can experience it's just like a lot of these more like these cartoons with that have some adult themes like adventure time right you, mm-hmm. you everybody's gonna get something out of it whether it just be this yeah. cute cool thing or like this really, really deep examination of childhood trauma. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, so Steven Universe ages. is the same way. Yes, yeah, Re- really good example. Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah, I would, I would say again, most Pixar films. Like, if your um, child is okay watching Finding Nemo or like Inside Out or like Wall-E, Turning Red is probably kind of the same level of appropriateness. Oh, and even so, then, as... it doesn't have death in it like a yeah. fucking ton of the other Pixar movies do. Right? Let's first <laughs> yeah, of all, nobody let's talk about the, the opening of Up. Can we just talk about the opening of Up? <laughs> I, I can't I listen have... to that theme without crying. You know what's really hard? King, Wiping yeah. away tears underneath two layers of glasses. The glasses I normally wear for my visual and correction <laughs> and the 3D glasses in the film. Yep. Yep. Very difficult so, getting out all the tears. Uh, a quick one. Let's let's kind of go through uh, an, e- yeah. an easier one. What's your... Uh, uh, what's your favorite Asian moment that might have gone over a mainstream audience's head, or favorite Canadian <laughs> moments? I will mine cut fruit. Cut fruit. Oh yeah, cut, cut fruit. Was mine. Yeah. Sure was there. Um, Canadian ones are going to are going to be the streetcar. Yeah, doing homework on the streetcar. It's car. so weird to me when I just saw when my friends just like bite. I go to their home and they just bite into fruit, and I'm like, you don't just you don't cut your. Fruit. <laughs> like I still cut my fruit. Like du- like I get I get like apples from the farmers market and I will cut them. <laughs> mm-hmm. <laughs> and then I will bring them out for us to eat. Oh man, I think for me like favorite Asian thing is just the love that goes into creating the food because like I guess like for my family and like a lot of Asian families the way like, sometimes we don't say I love you out loud. But the way we do say I love you for certain is by feeding well, each other. You know how, how <laughs> they say about Chinese people is like, you know how they say I love you is have you eaten? Have you eaten yet? Have yeah. you eaten? Are you hungry? Yeah. Mm-hmm. Have, oh, you, what, have you eaten what? rice? Have you eaten rice? That's generational trauma for me. I, I will say, okay, there's one very specifically Asian thing that I loved. So Jin wears um these sandals, the sandals and they're yes. black with like this white stripe yeah, yeah. they're like an adidas knockoff and all of my male relatives wore those sandals yeah. i gotta rewatch I, for all that of those sandals. Sandals. yeah so i was like this is also a, like a deep cut a can- the couch that they sit on was also a deep cut because the couch was like <laughs> the couch the That's furniture couch. A, a super super canadian and toronto one is all of your white friends being really excited about asian food yeah. <laughs> yeah. Oh, yeah. I, I saw I was jealous. I was like, I wish people were excited about Yeah. Winter. Oh man. <laughs> the 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 food shots were amazing. The food shots were so good. Fu- My jaw funny. dropped Again. when that knife came down yeah. on the veggies. I was like, oh yeah. yeah. So also the moment when Jin like he comes, I was like, mm. <laughs> and then like yeah. oh, just like, yeah, it's, it's literally just fog on the glasses. My, glasses my, moment. My dad jokingly, he said, the movie got one relatable thing right for me. It's because it's the, the father that's the cook of the house because he is here. That is, that is <laughs> my dad. That is my but dad I'm too. Like, you're cr- the, the big Toronto thing for me was the Sky Dome, uh, particularly because it was the Sky Dome. Because fun yes. fact, in 2005, 
uh, the name was changed for that for that uh, arena because it was bought by or sponsored by a, a Rogers, which is a large, uh, you know, tele, uh, telecom company, yeah. telecom company here. So the fact that it was the Sky Dome when it was said in 2002 was just like, a, oh, oh, <laughs> like, <Yep>. ah. <laughs> oh, man. Do you remember when stadiums had like a name and it wasn't just like the brand name, yeah. you know? But yeah, yeah like, so that yeah. was that was just a unique thing, and I had to literally go look up when the Sky Dome turned into the Rogers wow. Center because my brain was just like that was recent. It was not recent. No. It was nope. twenty years ago. Yep. <laughs> but- yeah. It's it's also like you've got the CN Tower and the Sky Dome behind you, Kiana, and it's visible. Literally, on the literally right here. Yeah, <laughs> like, with the Sailor Moon lighting and the fade. Ah, Sailor Moon palette. Yes. Now, okay, so we have a. Uh, another question. sorry. What w- one more thing I wanted oh, to mention go, as go, far as like sorry, a great Asian moment is okay. You know the 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 montage of like all the pictures. There's yeah, a picture yeah. of Ming feeding uh, May, oh, and her like... mouth is like so open. Oh, oh yeah. So 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 just something like... that's really funny is that I noticed that a lot of white families, not all of them, but a lot of them will be like open the mouth and like they're talking to the kid as like they're like putting a spoon in their face. But Asian parents all just like open their mouths as wide as possible. <laughs> And at some point, the baby will just mimic it, and you're like, "There you go, Put the food in there, <laughs> like a, like a baby bird." <laughs> yeah, <laughs> May's mouth is so big; it's, it's so just big. a perfect circle. Yeah, it's yeah. So perfect. Also, the, so I'm I, like, uh, yeah, I've had cousins that like, I'm like, "How did your mouth open that big?" I know because you're hungry. <laughs> Unhinged jaw. Yeah, like, give me. <laughs> yeah. Oh, we have um, we have another question. And then I'd love to kind of uh, dive in. We'll have time to kind of dive into Sonia's thing, at least to start. Um, was um, there was a question by a new patron, actually, um, Amanda Comet. Um, how would the situation change if May, the protagonist, or one of her friends were were queer? Um that's a really interesting question because you're also looking at um, Toronto, which is like culturally very different than you know, other parts of like traditionally America where a lot of Pixar movies are set. Right. Um, but you're also looking at a Chinese family. Um, and that's actually a really interesting question. I, I looked at it and I didn't give it much thought and I said, you know, we'll bring it up and we'll have an answer. Um, for me, I, honestly think with the way that they told the story it would have just been part of it honestly i feel like it would have been that scene from stranger things um season three season three at the end of season three of stranger things um i think because of the storytelling style with the way that you know the characters were portrayed and the way that like Toronto's diversity is captured in this movie. I really don't think that it would have changed too much of the movie because the if May was a, a queer character, I think her parents would have accepted her for that because the other things mm-hmm. that she's doing to try to be a good daughter. Mm-hmm. Yeah, like oh, speaking of like queer narratives, and one part that also it made me personally cry because I saw a bit of myself in it was that part where. May's mom has gone through the portal and she's asking, it's like, May, are you sure you want to do this? And May confesses to her, it's like, I'm becoming more of myself, but I'm scared that's going to take me away from you. And 
me having recently come out to my parents as bisexual several years ago and my well not several years ago it was the beginning of the pandemic actually um uh having finally realized like oh shit no, no i'm bi i'm bi <laughs> after you know years of com- compulsory heterosexuality and whatnot and unpacking that um my parents have always been very very open and very very loving and very supportive of the, the queer community we have many people in our family that are queer many of my mom's friends are queer and whatnot and it was always that thing in my head of like my parents are willing to accept everybody else what if their daughter being bi is the breaking point and so when I heard that line where it was like, I'm becoming more of who I am, I'm scared that's going to take you away from me. Like I wanted to start crying because that was like me and my experience with my mom where I was just like, I'm becoming more of me, but what if this is the thing that finally takes you away from me after we've done so much work to heal and whatnot. And yeah, I agree with Daniel that if they, if one of the girls was queer or if May was, was queer, I think, you know, it I, I don't think it would have I don't think it would have changed the friend group dynamic at no, all. No, I don't, I don't think, think it so. I don't think it would have changed the message at all. In fact, mm-hmm. honestly, if they had done it, I think it would have made the movie even more interesting and like even better. Um but I look forward to, you know, Pixar doing a ton of shorts about all the characters cuz oh you know they're going to do you know they're going to do shorts yeah. about the about the I, friend group. So so one thing I did get back so i've been doing a series of watercolor sailor like for town stands um uh, on my on my twitter if you can see them i've just been doing sailor moon versions they're really of good characters. they're really oh, cute they're really good <laughs> oh thank you um so everyone uh, so i did get a comment on like so you're gonna do miriam next i'm like yeah of course i'm gonna do miriam and somebody said pink and blue right and i'm like she wears green <laughs> and they said oh well she's apparently like the trans community has apparently adopted Miriam. <laughs> and so I, I was like, Oh, that's cool. That's, that's awesome. And I'm like, I could totally make a little button of that. But I also thought like when you were talking about this, I remember um, the representation of, uh, of the diabetes representation yes. in mm-hmm. turning red yep. and just how like offhand it was just like, yeah, it's just it's there. Just it's just there. It's just there. And I kind of feel like that might be a thing. Like what if Miriam was going through HRT? What if she was a trans girl? Like what if she's going through HRT? Maybe we just see her with some pills. Like I, it's just like a matter of fact thing. Yeah. Again, that's why yeah. I think it wouldn't have been a, a huge issue because I think the way they told the story with the way the characters interact with one another, it would have just been part of their world. Right. Yeah. Yep. And, and, and I think a lot of, with so if we're talking about how it changes things uh we have definitely seen some movies in the past that have been like that talk about um you know intergenerational trauma and poc stories that have been kind of co-opted in some way by by queer readings of it i think it was in kanto that was this recently where it's like, a big one yeah where it's just like clearly there's a story about being queer when it wasn't a story about being queer it could have been an element like uh people can read that as subtext that's totally fine um but it's that wasn't what the story was about pretty intentionally right the story was intentionally about intergenerational trauma and familial love and stuff like that and i think here in the same it it's a little different in what this question is asking right like if if queerness was an element here i think that it would have it wouldn't have changed anything the framework of the story works really well either way um mm-hmm. but if you were to say the story is just about subtextual queerness that would be incorrect so i think yeah. that's i think that's the right thing to kind of approach it as is like if queerness is part of it and i think subtextually there was a lot of stuff in turning red that could be read um and i think there's also some some elements of like you know 
uh, outside of canon or, you know, outside of the movie confirmation about queerness. Uh, but I think it's I think it's important to say that like it just would have been another element if it was put in. Um, but if not, like that's also fine. <laughs> I think yeah. the the story doesn't really change either way. Mm-hmm. Um, now- yeah. It's centered very strongly on one theme. Yes. Yeah. yeah. And I think that's where this is like an ongoing thing, but talking about intersectionality and the nuances of it becomes ever more important. Mm -hmm. So it is totally valid to like have this queer reading of the movie, but to, like you said, kind of like co-op the message and try to, you know, force certain narratives and things like that, that the directors didn't intend though valid has limitations. And you have to be really careful because you might unintentionally be silencing the stories of people who, you know, are more closely aligned with the director's intent. Now, of course, I'm a big fan of killing all of your artists, uh, killing all your authors. But <laughs> at the same time, there is there is validity in talking about the context of how these things get created. Right. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, and, and I mean, there. I think one thing that is you know worth discussing. I mean, we're talking about how amazing you know turning red is and the lessons that are being told here. And I, I even mentioned the the sort of the diversity that is being shown in Toronto but there is a very valid point that you Sonia made about the film and it is a very valid critique I mean we talked off air about like a potential contextual reason why but I really think it's it's worth bringing up what you talked about because it is a totally valid critique that honestly I didn't even notice until I saw your um saw your post and I was my essay, your essay. And I was, I was honestly too busy crying over the movie, but um, it's a really valid point. And I'd, and I'd love to make sure that we have time to talk about it. Yeah, for sure. Um, so for those of uh, the viewers or listeners that are not in the discord um, during uh, the past, I think week or two ago, um, the subject of people were bringing up the issue of cultural appropriation, specifically black cultural appropriation coming up in the film. And um, people were started talking about that. And I was like, hey, uh, I got something to say. Seven in the morning. Let me wake up. <laughs> and um, basically, so um, I'm basically, if you've been in our Discord server, I'm literally just going to be reading what I wrote because it's there. <laughs> but uh, let's get into it. So in terms of the subject of turning red and appropriation of specifically black culture um a lot of people have been critiquing like the girls are appropriating black culture you see it as a constant through line throughout the movie and this is a sub this is a valid critique that i agree with a whole lot turning red is an incredibly accurate 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 window into what it was like growing up as a kid in like 2003 during like the boy band craze because like it's it's a period piece Yes, that is the pun I am making. (laughs) Um, But it's so accurate down to the appropriation of Black culture. And many of the arguments that people are bringing up is that in this movie, Black culture is ever present in the way that the girls talk, the music that they listen to, the dancing. But there are no Black characters in the core cast. The only two Black characters that have major speaking roles within their side character status are Tyler, who is Blasian, canonically Blasian, but he is largely a bully and an aggressor for the largest chunk of the movie. And Robert, who is the beautiful, desirable, hyper-successful leader of Fort Town. There's no in-between in terms of, like, other, you know, characters and characteristics that um, Black characters can fall into. All the rest of the Black characters are 
background characters that you that don't have speaking lines. So all the black characters are almost treated as like set dressing while black culture is running throughout the entire movie. So we have the issue of black culture being appropriated without the presence of black people in a major role. And someone could argue that, oh, the girls are imitating Four Town and that's just what it was like back in the day. You are absolutely correct. It is still a form of appropriation in that there is a picking and choosing of what is cool and the things that we like that black people do, but then remove black people from the picture. And it get, it's not an intentional thing that the girls are doing with any sort of malice. It gets into this weird, the even deeper commodification of blackness within pop culture, within pop music of the era. And it's not something that's just for that era or current it's been we've been doing this since way back in the day like sister rosetta thorpe and chuck berry basically invented rock and roll but most people think it all elvis did it until he popularized it we're doing it now from the kardashians the TikTok, to K-pop. tiktok dances tiktok dances oh my god if black people went on strike with tiktok dances white people wouldn't have nothing to copy <laughs> or like we're still having like this argument that people are saying oh this is internet slang. This is just Gen Z talk. But in actuality, it's just appropriated Ave. Yeah. So, and I'm not saying that solution is to replace one of the girls with a black girl because that's not doing anybody any favors. Removing one form of representation to swap it out for another does nobody any favors. Um, some people have said, like, maybe adding a black girl to the May's friend group might have helped, but also people have pointed out that if they were the black girl in May's friend group be, when they were acting like that, just they tokenize would, them. You, you, you've tokenized them. And also like, it's really weird to have your culture appropriated when like, and they're like suddenly talking like you all of a sudden. And now it's cool when you probably know for a fact that a couple of years ago, they were making fun of you for the funny way you talked. <laughs> the, the solution, this, this is, this is fiction. The solution yeah. would be to just not emulate that part of the early two thousands. Yeah. Um, and then, like, also just another issue in terms of the, the uh, fact that Ave and Black culture is seen as a way to emphasize how quirky and odd the girls are to comedic effect, which I don't really need to get into it about how the negative connotations that has for Black folks and whatnot. And, like, um, even the parts where May's mom looks at Four Town and the dances that they're doing, and they're just like, ugh. And then Abby's mom even calls Four Town stripping music while accurate of how like you know moms can view their kids music and can be just seen as like as uh, like oh parents just to understand it can also be read as ooh black slash black influenced music is scary and i don't like that and it's not to say that the creators and domishi did this with intentional mouse absolutely not but they're drawing from their childhood experiences and they fucking nailed it down to some of the stuff that we as adults were like mm, maybe we shouldn't have done yeah. that <laughs> um, but it, the movie is still amazing. I adore this movie, but that aspect is a bit is a blind spot and whatnot. Yeah, um, and I will get off my soapbox now. Well, I mean, it's it's definitely something we should talk about in that future episode that you've already agreed to be on after a DM do. Um, <laughs> yeah. nice. I was in the chat. I was waiting. Yeah, you can't back out now. <laughs> uh, yeah, um, no, I think it, it's something that I mean deserves its own episode. Right, this this intersection of you know Asian and Black stories. Uh, the Asian and black communities, right? Um, and how we have let each other down and how we can lift each other up, I think is a whole episode. Um, you're absolutely- that, That's 
that's incredibly deep. Like we would have to go into the LA riots. LA, oh, oh my, my god, god. we got to go. Holy yeah. shit. I mean, we would have, we have to, to go to that, that. Talk about like literally like grindhouse kung fu cinema. Like there is so yes. much to talk about there. Um, mm-hmm. That it of course has to be multiple episodes. Um, but we are going to make that happen. Uh, I'm, you know, we 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 kind of started running out of time, but I wanted to make sure that your very valid criticism of the movie was brought up because it's true. Like this movie isn't perfect. And like we said with like, when we did our Shang-Chi episode, it's like turning red cannot be where we peak. It is just another step towards even better representation in media. Right. And just because we really like something does not mean we can shield it from criticism and does not mean it is immune to criticism. Right. So, I think it's really important for us to, you know, acknowledge those things. So when parents, like we're talking about parents watching this with their kids are having these conversations about the movie, this is just another conversation that can happen. Mm-hmm. Right. Um, that said, you know, um, I am very, very grateful that the five of us have gotten together to talk about this film. I think it is very important. I hope that it inspires so many so many people to have these tough conversations but also i hope it inspires other creatives to be like oh i can be like domishi and i can tell my story <laughs> like i want to see more of this not just chinese stories right like i want disney and pixar to do more of this right oh, if you haven't seen the um the making of documentary on disney plus i highly recommend it <laughs> i a, was gonna watch it but every time I think about Tardigrad, I get a little emotional, and I'm like, I gotta like, I gotta simmer a bit because I, I'm, I'm, I'm never gonna get over the uh, the name board, the potential names. Oh, evolved notorious of this RPG! Movie. We could have had that. Yeah, my neighbor, notorious Red Panda Girl. Wow. Yeah. My neighbor, or my Toronto? neighbor Toronto. My neighbor, my neighbor Toronto. Toronto is amazing. Oh, that's a shirt. The Ghibli, the Ghibli <laughs> film, the Ghibli <laughs> film influences. Yeah, we should also. It's just there's so much. I mean, you're right. There's so much to talk about. I. I love like unlike like say other other Disney movies like I love the specificity of this. This is great. I want to see more. Yeah, clearly money is there. Give it to me. Honestly, I'm, <laughs> yeah. I this is this is why it's going to be super important to like support this movie. I know people would have gone out in droves to watch it in theaters, um, but like stream this movie on Disney Plus. Don't illegally stream it. Um, watch this movie. Buy the buy the merch. Like it's important to show like Michelle did. <laughs> not sponsored. Um, we have not taken that Disney money. Um, no mouse money for here. <laughs> no mouse money for here because you know we we want to kind of control the content that we make, and uh, we are able to control the content we make uh, because of the support of our amazing patrons. Um, we have a lot of people to thank. Because look, this is um, running Asians represent us hard and having these conversations is difficult and maintaining our, our discord community and making sure it's a, you know, it's a safe and growing space um, is tough. And, you know, we're able to do things like continue to produce this content, get new mics, not have to take on sponsors to do it. Like we were talking about Steve uh, because of our amazing patrons. Um, we have a lot of people to thank, and I'm, soon I'm going to have to fix this graphic to make it a, a little bit more, to, to create more space. And 
want to I want to thank so many people, you know, our guardians of the realm, uh, Brooke Bright, Pixel Grotto, Jeremy, who I believe has a new article on D&D Beyond soon about the new um, D&D book, which I am super hyped for also because Pam, um, the 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 overseer, the founder of our discord server, wrote an adventure in the upcoming D&D book. And I am very excited to do an episode on that. Super excited to do an episode on that because I think it is like we need to show people that this is uh, this is the kind of content that needs to be supported. Um, also, so Daisy May, Arjun, Justin, uh, Yan, and of course, Sunlit Music. Thank you for your support. And thank you to our most honorable patrons. Now, I know my partner is actually watching this stream. So I was texting <laughs> and I was like, Marla soon. Please, <laughs> Marla time. Um, because we give the give the Marla bring Marla, please. I actually get to see Marla like as it happens. Live, the, yeah, the yeah. one person in chat going Marla. Marla. Yeah, so we're talking about like red pandas. Well, we've got Big Marla. Big Marla. I ran the numbers and I did calculate Marla is a kaiju. Marla so is just like- straight up is a kaiju. <laughs> Um, I, I literally shared a picture of Marla on Slack on Slack at work, and the senior manager of my department was like, "Can you send additional photos for scale?" She's so strong. <laughs> Put a um, banana she, next to her. She's banana big. for scale. Yeah. First, just first time so, I, yeah, the first time I went over. And you met Marla. Place, <laughs> I've met Marla. I the first time I went over to Daniel's place. Um, I I didn't see Marla at first because she was off hiding. And then we were in the middle of recording, and I just feel something nudge my bag, and I look down. It's just it's a raccoon. Cool. <laughs> just like, and, I like, orb. and I was like, oh, oh no, I love her. Yep. She was trying so I... hard to get into my bag. Yep. She was just like, hey, hey, you got you got something here for me? And I'm like, I, I do not. I just have love. I, Agatha, Agatha brings treats. <laughs> <laughs> That's that, why. I thought you were going to say that you couldn't see Marla because everything was Marla. Was so <laughs> no, she was hiding, and then she came out, and she was just like, "Oh, hello." So you know, with you, a bag. you know who Marla doesn't hide for? Our most honorable patrons, Marla. Come on, Marla, Marla, please, please come to frame, Marla. Um, so Marla, you have to thank the most honorable Metal Weave Games, Valorous Games, Dungeon Glitch, Matt, <laughs> most honorable times two Epic Impulse, Name really X, and uh, Amanda Comet. Can we get a little squeak, Marla? Yeah, kind of. It's kind of there. Marla, you want to say bye to everyone? Hold her a little. There high. we go. Say, say bye to everyone, Marla. Marla, I love you. Okay, okay. She's squeaking now. She's upset. She's, oh, there we go. Angie orb. Yeah. <laughs> Doctor, she's so angry. She is, she is the moon. Um, <laughs> but that said, I wanna. <laughs> oh, hey. <laughs> Wasn't expecting that. Um, Father. Father, please. <laughs> um, I want to thank you know Steve as usual for joining me on our two-year twitch anniversary, and Sonia, Kiana, and Michelle for just being here with us for this, you know, special day, special anniversary to talk about Woo! this special movie. And of course, thank you for being vulnerable. Thank you for being open. And thank you, audience, for listening, watching. This was a tough episode. 
But I think at the end, we kind of have come to the conclusion that, yes, this is a Chinese-Canadian story set in a very specific Canadian city. (laughs) But it is a story of universal themes. It's a story about having conversations, tough conversations with your parents about trauma and their trauma. It's about being true to yourself and how that's difficult. And of course, come to that understanding that, you know, your parents are human beings too, and they are flawed and that is okay. And in acknowledging this and acknowledging the sort of complex relationships that we have with our families and our friends too, because again, found family is just as valid family, right? You know, you could come to a more sort of positive and happy future for yourself and your community. Um, that said, I just want to thank everyone for, for joining us for our two-year Twitchiversary, our 51st episode of Asians Represent. Um, we hope to see you folks again soon, or we hope that you folks tune into us in your ears soon. Um, that said, take care, everyone. Um, happy two-year anniversary! Happy two-year anniversary! Happy two-year anniversary! Uh, <laughs>